Welcome and thank you for listening to Hashtag Houston HealthCast, a podcast powered by Houston Healthcare as part of our Hashtag Houston Healthy initiative. My name is Derek and this is our second episode of Hashtag Houston HealthCast today. Um, my guests and I are here to encourage the community of Houston County, Georgia, and wherever you may be listening to, uh, to lead a more Hashtag Houston Healthy lifestyle. We provide healthcare news, updates, tips, and advice. Uh, today, our topic of conversation is going to be surgery, uh, most specifically robotic surgery, but we'll talk a little bit about surgery in general as well, um, how it is changing the landscape of healthcare here in Houston County and at the world at large, and uh, what role Houston Healthcare plays in those changes here in Houston County, Georgia. Joining me today is Dr. Patrick Narmarty. Uh, he is Chief of Surgery here at Houston Healthcare. Uh, good morning, Patrick. Good morning. How are you doing, Derek? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Absolute I really appreciate pleasure. it. Absolute pleasure. Um, so before we get too far into the topic at hand of robotic surgery, I want to ask you a few questions about yourself. Sure. Um, so how long have you been a surgeon? My goodness, going on eight years now. Eight uh, years. Yeah, I finished my training back in 2016 at Western Reserve in Ohio and I came back home to Georgia. Awesome. That's good to hear. We're glad to have you back in Georgia. Uh, absolute pleasure. Um, so how long have you been working with Houston Healthcare during those eight years? Uh, four, four of those years I've been spent specifically in Houston County. And uh, how many of those years were you chief of surgery? I've been chief of surgery approximately a year now. Okay. How do you feel about the difference between being a surgeon with Houston County or Houston Healthcare rather, and uh, being chief of surgery with us? It comes with more responsibilities, but it's, it's great. It's great. I, I get to have input and I get to have more interaction with, with the physician staff, the surgical staff, and to and tr try to move things in the in a direction uh, towards growth and, and, and hopefully uh, improvement for Houston Healthcare as a whole. Well, I'm sure everybody agrees with you that you have uh, you have been great at what you do, especially in this uh, current stage of growth for Houston Healthcare with the robotic surgery. Um, what made you choose this line of work? What made you choose surgery? Wow, you know, initially I was not planning to be a surgeon. I actually went into medical school thinking I was going to become a pediatrician. And um, I encountered surgery as my first rotation as a third year medical student. That's when we get to do clinicals. And... It was like fish to water. It, it, it felt right. I felt very comfortable. I liked having to think quickly on my feet and come up with solutions as the day progressed. I actually like being kinetic and, and being in motion as I'm working and thinking. And it worked out really well. It was my first rotation. And after that, no other rotation compared to it. And I, I did the OB guy and I did uh, psychiatry. I did all the various core rotations and nothing else compared to surgery. So at the end of the day, when it was time to pick a, uh, pick a pathway, I decided that surgery was the, the route that I was going to take. So you just kind of fell in love with hey, it. I fell in love with it immediately, <laughs> immediately. You know, I, it, there were several encounters that led to, you know, that love cultivating, but it was just being able to be the answer person, I, you mm -hmm. know, taking on a, uh, a challenge and having to do the detective work or find out exactly what's going on with a patient on the fly and then come up with solutions as you went. I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, and, and continue to, it's, it's a challenge. You never know what you're going to get, you know, no gallbladder is the same, no appendix is the same. Mm -hmm. There's always uniqueness to each patient and what they bring to you in the challenge. It, 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 that's what keeps surgery interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and as you said, you know, a medical doctor and a surgeon are two different things. You fell in love with surgery 
And uh, we're glad you did because you've been such a such a huge asset to Houston Healthcare. Um, so do you want to kind of like walk us through a typical day in a, in a full surgery day? You've got surgeries booked out until you're going to pass out later. <laughs> so, you know, the, um, the, the the typical day for me, yeah, you know, different surgeons have different routines, but typical day for me starts around 4 a.m. I wake up at 4 a.m. and, you know, I, I spend some time working out and kind of get myself ready for the day. And I spend some time praying, getting my word. And then next thing I do is I look at charts. I look at the charts for the surgeries I'm going to do for that day, the patients that, I'm, that are going to be coming in, review my numbers, and make sure I understand exactly what I'm getting myself into. And, you know, if anything, it's like a pregame, like my, my, my little pregame routine. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I'm I, 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 I'm not ready for the, for for what I'm about to do. Any surprises and so on, um, and then and and then from there I get to the hospital. Usually I'll check in the, the first few uh, patients that we're going to be doing surgery on. Then I go upstairs and make my rounds for the patients that are already in the hospital, make sure that they're tucked away and they have a plan for the day. And then usually we'll, we'll start our first first cut. Usually the first uh, surgery starts around seven o'clock in the morning, and then after that it's just. Um, Patient by patient, get into whatever uh, scenario they bring to us, and 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 so on. And, uh, and rarely does he ever go the way we plan it. I mean, mm-hmm. right? You got that. You got that planning session, and it all goes out the window halfway through the day, right? You, know, you, you come in with, with a plan, and, and and oftentimes, you know, each patient has your own unique challenges, and mm-hmm. and sometimes it's not even what happens in the operating room. Sometimes it's what happened before the, before surgery. You know, you know, the the, 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 the patient um, having uh, lab issues or things that need to be addressed, and then and then there's there's the intraoperative part, which is you know going in and doing a surgery itself and then there's the post-operative part which is you know now the surgery's over let's make sure the patient is is waking up okay and is doing well and can either go home or can we get them to the into a to a bed or on the floor and make sure that we finish taking care of the patient so it's a and you know a, a tip a typical day uh, uh will be maybe five or six surgeries uh maybe seven and, and those those are what we call elective surgeries surgeries that have been i saw the patient in the office and we we set up a time and 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 and, and it's been scheduled um occasionally as surgeons we also have to take what uh, what we call a call which is you know we cover the uh, the emergency room so anybody that comes in with an emergency um we we have to address that and that those are the things that are unplanned and Right. You can't schedule it. You know, if somebody shows up and they're sick, we just have to, you know, accommodate them and then fit them into the schedule and get it done. So you could go from a day that is well planned out, well thought out. You know, um, for example, Monday, I I started the day with uh, six to seven surgeries, I believe, and I end up doing 10 or 11 just because of people that came into the ER because I was on call. And and you just kind of handle it. And and, mm-hmm. and, and as, far, as, as part of um uh, the life, the, the the benefits. I mean, and uh, of surgery uh, for uh, for a surgeon, the typical surgeon is that, that we like solving problems and we like find a problem, get into a solution, and 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 feeling like, like we did a good job, and right. and and, uh, and that's part of the reward of surgery. It's an instant gratification type thing right. most of the time. And and those those uh, unexpected calls. That's when the think on your feet part comes yes. in. Comes you, in really valuably. You never know what you're gonna get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you, you can, you know, it could be something that is as simple as a abscess or, or something as complex as somebody's made a hole in the intestine somewhere, and you're trying to find that hole and trying to preserve that person's life. It's a, and and, and it could shift. 
you know, very quickly. You could go from having a very calm, <laughs> well thought out uh, morning to a, a very high stress situation to another calm situation right. to another high stress situation. And sometimes at the end of the day, you feel like, you know, all the life force has been literally sucked out of you, you know, yeah. but it, it's worthwhile. It's and of worthwhile. course, we're working with patients, we're working with people. So, you know, you don't ever want a complication to pop up. No, but man. when they do, do you enjoy working on those? Are those mm-hmm. challenges that you like to conquer or are those inconveniences? Yeah. You know, actually, you know, it's it's part of you expect that in surgery. You know, it's it's part of the expectation. You know, you have a tool bag of tools that you have. You know, I call it your momentarium that I that I can pull on in, in any given circumstance. And we and, and and part of our training is being able to think on your feet and, and come up with solutions in real time, and and that's what you try to do. You know, whatever situation comes up, you know, and one not only do you have to not only do you have yourself to rely on, but you also have a team of great surgeons in this community that you can call upon. You know, um, we have a very seasoned uh, surgeon that's been in the community, Dr. McBride. That you could I could I could call on and say, Hey, what do you think? He's he's seen it all. He's probably mm-hmm. forgotten more surgery than, than most of the most of us. You right. know, and then you have a great group of people that you're working with. You have a great team of anesthesiologists that we could rely on for for other questions. And we have a great hospitalist staff, internal medicine a group of internal medicine doctors and ancillary support that we can actually lean on and say, Hey, you know, uh, I have this pro- I have this surgical problem, but this patient also has these other issues. Can you help? me um so it, it becomes more of a, a team approach with everybody doing their part to try to get the patient through uh as a surgeon usually we come in to solve a specific problem and to accomplish a specific task we get in there and if we do a good job we usually try to get well to the patient to what we call homeostasis get them to a place where the body can then finish healing um and, and oftentimes, it, it requires thinking on your feet and being able to get in your tool bag and, and figure out what tools you need to use very quickly mm-hmm. and so on. And it can be fun. It can be challenging. And sometimes it can be very stressful. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. The high stakes, definitely. Yeah. Um, higher stakes than what we do here in the marketing department, I'm sure. Um, so let's talk about the topic at hand. We have mm-hmm. a, a robotic surgery program here at Housing County. Robotic surgery is becoming a larger thing in healthcare in general. Um from what I understand, we have one of the fastest growing robotic surgery programs in the Southeast. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had two new Da Vinci robots mm-hmm. recently at both uh, of our hospital facilities, both mm-hmm. in the Warner Robins and at the Perry location. Mm-hmm. Um, to start, just uh, what exactly is a Da Vinci robot yeah. for someone that has may- never heard that phrase before? Um, what does it do? Okay. So you know, I think to, to, to try to tackle this question properly, uh, to break down like the, the, the spectrum of surgery in a broad sense. So when we approach a surgical patient, we can either do it open, which is the, the old school gold standard. I'm going to cut the flesh, get in there, put my big paws in here, figure out what I'm taking out of what I'm doing, and, and do it. And, and, and then um, and, uh, in the uh, late 80s, we, we came up with laparoscopy. actually started with the OB guns, and, and then we took it to the next level, um, where you, we you know make little incisions, and we put instruments into the belly and try to do some of these surgeries because we, we realized that anytime you cut somebody, you make a big cut on somebody, they hurt. It takes them longer to get back to work. It takes them longer to get back to activity. It, get, it takes them longer to get back to do being who they're supposed to be and 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 the next um evolution in that process is robotics robotics sometimes is is misconstrued as you know there's a robot doing doing work and and, and it's not it's just a tool what robotics allows us to do is make little small incisions 
and get in there and do what we could usually do with our, with, with our hands with using smaller instruments. The benefits of that is, is that the patient has tends to have less pain after surgery, long, uh, uh, shorter stay in the hospital if they have to stay in the hospital at all. They tend to have less bleeding during surgery. They tend to have returned, uh, get back to activity a lot faster and a lot sooner. You know, so the, the, the mom gets to get back to being mom and also, you know, getting back to work. Dad gets to get back to being dad and getting back to work and so on. So it, it's th- th- those are the benefits of, of robotic surgery as a whole. It, it is, and, and what we get to do as surgeons is use this instrument that we control. The robot doesn't doesn't have the ability to do anything on right. its own. I think that's a common misconception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That when you say robotic surgery, there's a robot that drives yeah, in yeah, and, yeah. It, it, you know, beep, boop, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to, you know, remove your spleen or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It, um, it, it, you know, we, we, um, you know, I always tell my patients, like, I don't turn to Optimus Prime and, and then no. Right. What, what, what happens is um, we make small incisions. And then we we access the the abdominal cavity or whatever cavity we're going to work in with these instruments. And then I get to sit at a console that has a a beautiful 4D environment rendered for me. Uh, So I'm looking at everything and I can magnify up to 400 times. Wow. So rather than using my naked eyes, now I have absolute real-time imagery that allows me to see little blood vessels, little ducts, all these little things that I'll be working on that I used to, well, you know, have to fill my hands and try to guess where it's at, and I can actually see it and visualize it. It also allows me to work in little small cavities, little small areas, and see the structures that I'm working on. Um, So as a surgeon, it, 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 it creates a level of comfort in knowing that I went in to get this duck and actually got this duck. Or I went, to, I went in and I visualized exactly what I was doing, and I was able to uh, do what I, uh, what I wanted. It also gives you um, the instrumentation is really phenomenal. One of the cool things that I absolutely love about robotics, me personally, is the ability to, you know, to, to like if let's say I did a colon resection on the patient. We we have something called Firefly technology. I can I can uh, give the patient uh, uh, into signing green, and and then I can flip flip a switch, and I can see the blood flow coming into to the tissue to make sure that when I put this colon together, there's good adequate blood flow, and I know to a high certainty that this is going to heal. You know, if I was doing it open. I kind of look at the tissue and say, well, it looks pink. Uh, so it should have blood flow. And that's not necessarily always the case. you know. And I've seen that happen uh, several times. The ability to have great visualization, to be able to see the field I'm working in, to see the structures that I'm working in, to see the blood vessel, to see the duct, to see where everything is located. You, it, it cannot be beat. And then... And, I, and then the ergonomics of it, you know, surgery is very physical. It's it's full contact. Um, and and one of the things that, you know, it's often not talked about, we always talk about it from the patient perspective and the benefits to the patient, but it's also benefits to the surgeon. Um, surgeons get injuries, neck injuries, shoulder injuries, uh, joint injuries, back issues, and so on. And to be able to have a platform that I can ergonomically sit at get comfortable and do a great job for my patient. And I, that allows me to work longer, longer hours. There's less fatigue. You know, I, um, I used to always tell people, you know, sometimes you do an open belly case, you come out and you're, you're drenched in sweat and you, you look like you've been working out. Mm-hmm. You know, you do a similar case on a robot and it's not as energy tasking. Sure. You, you still feel fresh and you can actually do more in that day. And I think over, over, overall as a surgeon, it adds it allows the uh, the surgeon to use their skill sets for longer periods of time over the course of their career versus uh, versus you know having those some of these injuries that surgeons get as, sure. as time goes on. Um, 
So in overall, the, 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 this, this, there are benefits to the, the patient, there are benefits to the surgeon, mm-hmm. and overall to, to the healthcare ecosystem, I, 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 I absolutely think that they're positives. Yeah, and that's that's a really great perspective on um, the benefits to the surgeon. We talk a lot about the benefits to the patient, about how it's a, it's less time recovering because it's a smaller incision, it's much less invasive. But you don't really ever think about the benefits to the surgeon, at least for the layman. Mm. Um, and, you know, that insight on, you know, I didn't even know that there were injuries that surgeons typically got from doing surgery. So that's, you know, the physical part of it. You know, mm. I didn't know that. I'm sure a lot of our listeners didn't know that. So, you know, that's really interesting. Um, obviously, there's a lot of uh, reasons to to do robotic surgery. Mm-hmm. Um for both, you know, you and whoever you happen to be operating on. But let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. If you could choose between a robotic surgery and a regular surgery, um, which one would you choose? Are there benefits to do for you? Are yeah. there benefits to doing both? Or would you only want to do one versus the other? So, you know, the, the, so in my in my hands, you know, you know, and it, it changes based on surgeon. You know, I, the rule of thumb and what I always, you know, we always teach. We, we also get to teach residents here. Uh, Houston Healthcare, and I always teach them the best surgery that you do is this best surgeon that surgery that you can do at that particular point in time. Um, is you know if if your best inguinal hernia repair and for the best outcomes for the patient, meaning the surgery that you could do to, to give your your patient the best chance of recovery and the best chance of doing well, whatever it is, that's what you do. So if it's open, that's what you do. If it's laparoscopic, that's what you do. If it's robotics, that's what, whatever you could do best, that's what you give to that patient in that point in time. Um, so it, it, for me, in my hands, the open is usually done in emergencies and situations where I need to get in very quickly and save a life. Most of my elective surgeries are robotic. You know, uh, if I'm doing a gallbladder elective, when I say elective, meaning somebody that I see in the office and, you know, we, we, we meet, we talk about the problem, we figure out what the problem is, is, and then I come up with a solution for the problem and we're going to go do surgery, it is going to be most likely robotics. If it's going to be a hernia, that ventral hernia that I'm fixing, or a hiatal hernia, or we're fixing reflux, or we're going in to remove a colon cancer, or whatever the case may be, it would, and, it, we're, and we are, we're scheduling and we're planning in my hands. I do my best work and I feel like I could do the best job robotically. Mm-hmm. If it's an emergency, if you come into the ER and you are sick and you have a hole in your colon from diverticulitis, I am not docking a robot. I am opening your belly. I'm getting okay. in here and I'm trying to save your life. Right. Uh, you know, a robotic surgery does take time to be able to set up the machine and dock it and so right. on. So it's more for controlled situations mm-hmm. and so on. For, you know, now... It, Everything is evolving in surgery overall. There are certain things that some people are doing robotically, and, and the, the innovation continues. Mm-hmm. It, it used to be if somebody came in with a hole in your uh, in your stomach from an ulcer, per se, for example, you know, uh, you would you would open them up and, and fix a hole. Now, nah, across the country, in certain places where people have developed the skill set and they feel comfortable, they're, they're docking a robot, going oh. in, finding this hole, and, and fixing the hole, and, right. and, and doing it that way. In my hands, if somebody comes in, we had this happen, I think, on Monday. Somebody came in, they had a, a perforated ulcer. I, I opened them up, found a hole, and closed it up. Now, if that because that patient appeared not to be stable, it looked like they were having septic physiology, mm-hmm. and they were going to be getting sicker, and their life was at risk. If that patient was not as sick, and I felt like I could I could have time to get them in the operating mm-hmm. room and then and dock the robot, I would have preferred to have done them robotically, because right. I know that their pain would be 
will be better after surgery. Their return to activity will be a lot sooner, and so mm-hmm. on. So it, 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 it's it's a it's a case by case basis. But if you come in, if you come and see me in the office, we're planning surgery. You're getting robotic surgery. That, that that's just in my hands. It's my standard. Right. If it's if I if you're coming to the ER and you and you have a gallbladder. You're probably going to get it done robotically because mm-hmm. I, I feel like patients do better. If you're really sick and you're dying and I have to save your life immediately, right. you're getting opened. Right. If, 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 if it's an urgent emergent situation and I know I have to get in as fast as possible, preserve your life, you're getting the, the you know, the, the what, and I still call it, and the way I teach it to my residents, this is still the gold standard. Right. Every surgeon needs to be able to do everything that we're doing robotically, laparoscopically. Every surgeon needs to be able to do it open because open is still the gold standard of right. how you preserve life. Now, with that said, if you have opportunities that you can improve the patient's outcome and post-operative recovery with uh, using minimally invasive approach, which is the, the minimally invasive approach is the, is the, uh, is, is the catch-all phrase to, you know, to describe laparoscopic or robotic approach, then by all means do that. Right. But, you know, so I, I love robotics. I grew up on it. I, believe it or not, when, when in my training, when we were first introduced to the robot, I wasn't a fan. Right. I was like, what is this thing? You know, what the what? Uh-huh. You know, but man, I tell you what, I after after probably about 20 surgeries on it, and I start seeing the benefits of it. Mm-hmm. And I remember what really won me over, we were doing the hiatal hernia. Hiatal hernia is when the stomach uh, uh that moves into the chest. Uh, there's a you have a tube that that takes food from your mouth to your stomach. It's called esophagus. That tube goes through a hole in your diaphragm. That's called a hiatus. And um, and in some people that gets too big, and the stomach is able to slide into the chest, causes a lot of problems, uh, reflux, pain, discomfort, inability to properly digest your food, and so on. Uh, even sometimes even causing aspirations and leading to pneumonia, and, and sometimes uh, uh, even worse situations. And you know we're doing this big hiatal hernia. And uh, usually, we, we, you know, before that, we'll do it either open or laparoscopic. And, you know, lap- laparoscopically, it, you know, it, it, you have multiple holes. You have somebody holding the camera. And it, it, it was just a, it was cumbersome to do, you know. And I, when we had the the the, the, the first uh, line of robots. And this is called the SI series okay. and, of robots. And we, we, you know, so I go in here, we dock this thing. And I'm, I'm remembering, like, I can't believe we're going to be doing it. And we had that surgery done in about 45 minutes, and, 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 and the patient did great. And the patient went home the next day. Usually, you know, we do that case. The patient's in the hospital two or three days. Right. And, like, and the patient's just returned to activity, and the pain control was less. You know, the opioid equivalence, meaning the amount, the amount of opioids that the patient got during uh, after surgery was, was less. I'm looking at it, I was like, ooh. Wow. This is something. There's something yeah. here, you know. And, right. and so I started paying attention, and, and as time went on, I just... I said, I have to, I'm right. not going to finish my training without learning how to use this platform. So it, it, it naturally it became part of what I wanted to do. But at first I was not I'm like, what is this thing? It's taking right. me, I, I like cutting right. people, you know, <laughs> you know right. but you know, I, I, I think right now, um, robotics is the next evolution in surgery. It's, it's the, it, it doesn't mean that uh, open goes away. No, no, no. Open is still part of what we do right. and every surgeon needs to have that in their tool bag but there's certain even uh i would say even ventral hernias for example i, I the, the the right now in my hands the gold standard meaning the way that i would fix a ventral hernia somebody comes to me electively and it's not an emergent situation where there's intestine caught and i need to preserve their life is i'll do it robotically because i get to go in there find a hole or what find a hernia mm-hmm. close the hole 
Right. And then lay a piece of mesh, and I get I, I'm able to do that to three little tiny small incisions right. versus making a big incision on the patient's belly. Right. It just it, it, it just clear benefits in in certain yeah. cases. Yeah. And let me ask you this: You mm -hmm. said that you know in emergency surgeries, most times you're going to do open surgery. Mm -hmm. Do you ever see a point in the future where you would have the um, dexterity with those machines? The machines would have the dexterity to quickly respond to an emergency situation yeah. and you'd be doing everything robotically? You know, I, 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 I can't say everything, but I would say even now, the, mm -hmm. an emergency gallbladder is probably going to be done robotically. Okay. You know, it, it, it's it's really you, you kind of looking at the patient mm -hmm. and seeing what kind of patient, what is the condition of my patient physiologically? Here's a, is, is my patient, you know, and, and disease, I'll back it up and say it this way. Disease shows up on a spectrum. You know, every disease does, does not show up one way. You know, a gallbladder, sure. a, a bad gallbladder could show up when the patient just showing up in your office having pain, nausea, bloating, and just, or they could come in sick and dying and septic because, mm -hmm. you know, you know, it's, the gallbladder's become necrotic, right? So, so, you know, so on the spectrum, if the patient shows up and they come up, come through the ER and you're sick and died, okay, they're going to get open. You know, right. I, I have right. to, I'm trying to preserve their life. Now, that said, if the patient is sick, but I know that I can get them to the OR, we could dot the robot, mm -hmm. you know, like, right, like right now, most of my hot, what I would say a hot gallbladder, you know, is a surgical term to say a, a sick gallbladder or cholecystitis is the fancy way mm -hmm. to say it. And in fact, the gallbladder, most of those emergencies I'm doing robotically. Right. You know, they, you know, um, if somebody comes in and they have a, um, they have, they made a, like I was talking about earlier, they made a hole uh, for my ulcer. If I have the right situation, I'm docking the right. robot. And it also depends on the team of people that you're on call mm -hmm. with and so on. Right. Um, if I feel the need that I need to get into the belly quickly, then right. you're, you're going to get you're And to clarify, it. it's not that you're prioritizing that person less. It's just that because you have more time to work on it, right. you can give them a better outcome exactly. by the, doing robotics. That patient is more stable. Right. It, it, you know, and, and it's all, at the end of the day, what, what, what drives decision-making is outcomes, patient outcomes. You know, if I do A... Would it improve the outcome for my patient? Mm -hmm. my, my, my goal is to, you know, the, the 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 my goal is to make sure that whatsoever approach I use, I am giving this patient the best chance to do the best they could possibly do. So it's really patient dependent. You know, if 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 I see a patient that is just sick and septic mm -hmm. and dying, that patient is not getting a robot. That patient is getting, you know, I, I, I am trying to go in here and trying to find out what's going on and I'm trying to fix it. And, and that patient is going to get what we call an exploratory laparotomy or is going to get a big incision and we're going to go in and find it. If I have a patient that is stable mm -hmm. and or quasi-stable and can tolerate you know, docking a robot and, and getting it all done. Is it, you know, I mean, we have a great team at Houston Healthcare. Um, our robotics program is phenomenal. We have our two first assists that are just absolutely great to work with, the, the experience, and we could dock our robot very quickly and get to work. Right. And, and you know, I would say most of my emergencies, I would say maybe 30, 35% of my emergencies are being done robotically. Mm -hmm. and, but there's, there's still that, other side that right. you just you just have to right. you just have to do what you have to do to save the patient's life. Right. So um, you know we kind of talked about you've talked at length about you know you still have to know how to do open surgery. You oh, still yeah. have to know how to do the old school gold mm -hmm. standard way mm -hmm. of doing things, not mm -hmm. just robotically. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll ask you kind of two questions. Um, first of all, what does it take? You know, what's the process to 
become robotically trained for a surgeon mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. you know we've had multiple little events that we've done where we've had a robot out and kids will be playing with it and it <laughs> seems like a very intuitive system yeah, right yeah. so you know what is the process of getting robotically trained for mm-hmm. a surgeon and then you know if someone were to say you know I'm concerned you know the it's a world of increasing automation mm-hmm. you know we have AI you know chat GT yeah, chat gpt GPT, writing essays and you know robots performing manual labor where you know someone used to be working at mcdonald's doing that job now we have a robot that can do it um for someone concerned with those changes Mm -hmm. you know what would you say is the surgical robots role in healthcare moving forward versus Mm -hmm. the surgeon yeah so i i think you know the, the I would say surgeons are safe. You know, you know, okay. I know everybody, everybody's worried about everybody's uh-huh. worried about AI taking their job and so. And I know you can never say never. You really right, don't. right. But the human being is so complex. From one human to another human, you know, you're going into uh, okay. I'll say probably the most commonly performed surgery in the United States is uh, is a gallbladder removal, right? Cholecystectomy. No one gallbladder is the same. Mm-hmm. It, 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 you could go in there and the anatomy sets up differently, the blood vessels in a different spot, the sister duct is there's a, a lot of real time decision making that has to be made. Now, could you could you come up with an AI that can, you know, scan the patient and, and, and in real time make those uh, make those decisions? I guess it's possible, but right. you, you still need a you still need the dexterity of a human being, the dexterity of thought, the the, the, the nimbleness of thought to be able to make decisions in real time to you know to to to, to do what is best for that particular patient in that time. I I do believe that technology will uh, will continue to help us with increased visualization. Especially when it comes to um, tumor biology, um, being able to go in and remove tumors, being able to light up a tumor, and being able to uh, get what we call an R zero resection, meaning get that tumor out of there completely and not leave anything behind. The benefits, I think, University of Indiana and some other places are doing research with, you know, uh, you know, using um, being able to visualize, you know, giving the patient a dye and being able to light up a tumor and be able to see the tumor in its entirety, so that you know that you've gotten what you went there for. Um, so there are benefits like that and. And, and economically, you know, coming up with a, 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 a platform that allows surgeons to do the job in a more effective and more efficient manner, where when I, when I get done and I come to you and say, hey, I did this for you, to very high certainty, you knew that that was done. So I think I, I do believe robotics and the technology that comes and the accoutrement of the, te- the technology that comes with robotics is going to help with that. But I do. I, I, but I. As there's always going to have to be that human being involved, you know, that is going to be guiding and and and, and controlling the instrumentation and using the instrumentation properly. Human beings are very very complex. You know, it, it's one thing to you know go to the grocery store and pick up a pack of cookies and scan it. It's another thing to take a human being and 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 and, and go in to remove an organ mm-hmm. and and. And and know to a high certainty that you got you went in and took out what you were supposed to take out. It, 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 every human being shows up with their own, just as much just as every human being has their own unique fingerprint. Every every human being has their own unique setup and how your organs are arranged and how the blood the vasculature or the blood vessels get to that particular organ and so on. And 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 and, and it would take a, a a seasoned, well-trained surgeon to be able to get in there. See what's there and make the uh, real time decisions, and then use the instrumentation available to them to be able to do that. I do believe robotics is going to 
continue to enhance that. And I do believe that there are new newer platforms coming out, just like there's a new iPhone or new Samsung mm-hmm. coming out. There are going to be newer platforms. Right. But just like, you know, the, the, a cell phone is an amazing computer now that we use for just about everything. The cell phone is useless without the human being. And I think that's what robotics uh, sure. will continue to be. You could have the, you could have the, the world's best uh, robotic platform, uh, you know, like what we have. And uh, if you if if you don't have the human being there to actually use it properly and to actually use the tool like it's supposed to be used, it is it must well be a paperweight. So right. you know, and, and I think that, that that's where we're at. But that's it. That platform will allow us to continue to do good, phenomenal surgery. Go in, do the job that needs to be done, and then get out and feel pretty confident that hey, you know, when I lay when I lay my head down to sleep, it's like I went in to take out that colon cancer, and I'm sure that I got that thing out. And and two, I'm able, I'm sure that the tissue that I brought back together, where I sold that patient back together, that has good blood flow and that will heal pretty mm-hmm. well. You know, that is that is worth its weight in gold. Yeah. You know, yeah. so all right, and um, you know, uh, the the other question. What does it take to become robotically trained? Oh man! So you know, I, I will talk about it from my perspective, and then and talk about the different programs that are out there. So to to back it up, it takes five years after medical school to make a surgeon. So to to make a a, a full grown surgeon, I'll, I'll use that term. It takes four years of medical school. After the four years of medical school is done, these individuals compete, and it's very competitive to get into a surgical training program. And most people end up spending five years, sometimes more, to, to become a general surgeon. Now, and some people are fortunate in that the programs that they go to to train will have robotics as part of the training program. And I was very fortunate. I started training on a robot pretty much since I was a their third year, third year resident. So I had three years of being able to work and do cases on a robot. So not every program has a, has access to a robot. So now those individuals who do not have that access after the after the five years, there are fellowships that are available. A fellowship is what you go where you go and spend extra time learning a specific skill set that you may not necessarily be comfortable with or you want to get better at. And usually these fellowships are either a year long or two years long. So they have robotic fellowships that you can go. So let's say somebody went through the pathway, they did four years of medical school, five years of surgical training and did not really get access to the robot, then they, they would then compete for a fellowship and go and do a few more years of training uh, and then they'll be ready to for prime time per se to come right. out. And then the learning curve continues. You know, it's mm-hmm. a, I call it learning curve. You are always learning. You're always learning and innovating. That's the beautiful thing about surgery. Surgery is not stagnant. Surgery is more like a, and I always tell the residents, surgery is not a pond. It's a river that is continuously flowing and reshaping the landscape. And, and, you know, and, and as you are, as we're using this platform and we're learning more about what we can do with it, we're, we're continuing to innovate and, right. and come up with solutions and so on. So the, the, the learning curve continues in the term that we use, that I like to use is becoming facile, becoming, be, becoming absolutely comfortable with this particular platform to the point where you, you can then begin to be a thought leader. How do I, um, okay, so, so now I can actually get a guard that out with a robot. Okay. How do I do it more effectively? How do I use Firefly technology to my advantage? How do I use, uh, the various tools that come with uh, come with a robot, um, but so I, 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 the learning con- continues. Even for me, I'm continuing to innovate. How I do my colons, you know, when I first started from 
from the first colon that I did when I uh, started doing robotics even back maybe uh, as an attendant maybe seven years ago to the colon the way I do my colon now mm-hmm. is very different you know right. and because I have I have evolved my technique I have I have made it more efficient I I I, I, I found ways to actually decrease the time the patients on the table I found ways to bring the colon together I found ways to confirm that I have good blood flow and just coming up with a process stream um, but overall if you you know the the, the short <laughs> the short way that answer is four plus five plus fellowship if you don't have five years or if you don't have your robotics uh, as part of your training or let's say you get done intuitive actually has a pathway for you to go through the proctoring and the training and then and then and then the number of cases that you have to do to become robotic cert- robot certified okay. and, and this is a certification that you have to get to be able to uh, be able to uh, work on a robot okay that's awesome. Well, that was a great amount of information, and I want to thank you for being on the podcast today. Um, had a great time. Super fun oh, conversation. Yeah, this this was fun. I, I love talking surgery. <laughs> so you, you got me going, man. You got That's me excited. Great. Now. That's great. And I want to thank everybody else for listening in uh, to the hashtag Houston Healthcast. Um, Make sure you subscribe to the Houston Healthcare YouTube channel. Um, That's kind of our central place where we post all the links to all the other podcast channels where we post this. Um, So you can find us on your other podcast channel of choice. You don't ever have to miss an episode. So you can always follow those channels as well. Um, But I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. And remember to stay hashtag Houston healthy. Thank you so much.